0: In all cultures, the midwife's place is on the threshold of life, where intense human emotions, fear, hope, longing, triumph, and incredible physical power enable a new human being to emerge. Her vocation is unique. Sheila Kitzinger Hello witches, women, and other magical listeners. I'm Hannah, the bipolar bisexual host of this bi-weekly podcast of witches and women. Welcome to episode two of season two of Witches and Women is a Her Story podcast in which I explore the lives and histories of women forgotten, ignored, and misrepresented for too long. This season of the podcast will include interviews with amazing women in medicine starting today, as well as the stories of women who made medicine in the beginning and who have improved it along the way. Interestingly, women healers have historically been the first to be labeled as witches and the first to be oppressed, tortured, killed, and used by men in power. Their stories are hard to uncover and many have been lost forever. This season, we are uncovering our magical legacy and embracing our history of witchcraft confidence, and strength. Be sure you and your coven are subscribed to the pod on Apple or Google Podcasts or Spotify and connect with your sisters through the Of Witches and Women Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, or Facebook. In the exciting stuff department, both the Of Witches and Women shop and the Grimoire Gallery have been updated with new merchandise and artwork, reflective of our new season. Go on to ofwitchesandwomen.com and visit the shop where you'll find custom magical merchandise. Lots of the new merchandise is limited edition, so get your Witches in Medicine merch soon. This season, in light of the theme of Witches and Women in Medicine and the global pandemic we're experiencing together, proceeds from every purchase of the Witches Made Medicine limited edition t-shirt and stickers will be donated to a nonprofit that we will research and choose together later in the season so make sure we're connected on social media so you can help make that choice and once you have your swag be sure to check out the grimoire gallery our internet gallery curated by today's working artists and featuring art about witches and women in medicine if you see something you like in the Grimoire Gallery, you can link to the artist portfolio site to see, share, or purchase more of their work. Thanks to you, my witches, we have surpassed 10,000 streams. Thank you so much. Keep on listening and sharing, and we'll keep on growing and improving. Of course, once you've scoped out the new stuff in the shop and the Grimoire Gallery, you can view show notes and listen to episodes in the Lamia Library. And finally, while you're on ofwitchesandwomen.com, please subscribe to my newsletter, The Oracle, at the bottom of any page of the Of Witches and Women website. Just scroll down and add your email address. The Oracle will start up again soon, and we'll continue to tell the shorter, more obscure stories we won't get to cover on the show, share the biographies of our grimoire gallery artists, and other exclusive content. This season of the Of Witches and Women podcast is sponsored by Lua Ray Clothing. Lua Ray Clothing is an online boutique stocked with high-quality women's clothing that is flattering, comfortable, current, and inclusive. My favorite pieces right now are the beautiful black velvet dress, the Mariah, and this fabulous black blouse with sheer sleeves, the Millie. The Millie top is named in honor of an ancient Anglo-Saxon witch, Mildred. I told her story on the previous episode, so be sure you caught it on episode 23. Visit Luaray.com, that's L-U-A-R-A-E, dot today to shop their fall collection and use the promo code WITCHES15 at checkout for a 15% discount just for you, my witchlings, just for you. Today I'm so excited to share with you this interview with Nikki Helms. Nikki is an amazing midwife in San Diego, California. She's been practicing for years and empowers women to have a little more control over their birth experience while providing a safe, encouraging environment and years of training and experience. Nikki owns her own practice, Your Community Midwife, and also offers educational services at the Birth Education Center. She has two lovely daughters and is one of only a handful of black midwife practitioners in the San Diego area.
1: Oh, and comparative religion is one of my favorite things and
0: I'm a big word nerd. Cool, do you play like the uh, word games on your phone and stuff? I was just doing
1: that just a little while ago and then I realized like, oh my God, what time is it? Oh my God, okay. Yeah, I get distracted, but yeah, it was funny. I I did a presentation this morning for another group where we were talking about menopause. And so we spent a little bit of time talking about the root word Mm H-Y-S-T-E-R, which is Greek for uterus. But you also find that that root word in lots of uh, non-flattering places like hysteria, Yeah, like hysteria. Phryonics, like hysterectomy, like, oh, what was the other one that they came up with? Hi- um, hysterical, people mm-hmm. to be hysterical, so that was kind of fun, and then we talked a lot about the uh, root word, what other one did we have? And hyster, and oh, we were talking about oystro, and oestro is one of the root words for the word um, estrogen, and in oh, Greek it yeah. means frenzy. So it's just like, wah, craziness all over the place. And like, oh, so, okay, right. So people who came up with these words just didn't have any real understanding of how women
0: work. Okay, cool, now I know. Yeah, I can see some (laughs) biases emerging there.
1: (laughs) Just a little.
0: First thing, and something that I feel is kind of um, not always well known or misconstrued is midwifery is an ancient practice but it's also still very much the norm in a lot of places. Like in the UK, it's pretty normal. Mm -hmm. Uh, But here in the US, it's very unusual. Um, We don't see midwives in hospitals as much as they do in a lot of other countries. And so tell us what it is to be a certified midwife and what those qualifications are.
1: Okay, well for my um, certification, I have both a national certification and a license that's been issued by the state of California. Mm -hmm. Um, So midwives are, you know, we're, we're not all that unusual. We're just not all that, we don't, we don't make all the noise, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: So to be a midwife in the United States, I wish we were more, more integrated into our care system like they do in, you know Norway and Sweden and mm-hmm. you know lots of other places in in Europe people are very well integrated into um the current medical care system as low risk birth providers right. um and unfortunately in the United States you know a lot of things are are driven by the almighty dollar and not necessarily the idea of providing the best care possible so um so you don't really see midwives in hospitals. You do see certified nurse midwives in hospitals, which is slightly different than a certified professional midwife like myself. Um, nurse midwives obviously have a nursing background, um, mm-hmm. which is you know great and wonderful. And I love nurse midwives. However, in the state of California, um, they are governed by a different body altogether. So the, their practice parameters are a little different um, midwives tend to have a fair amount of autonomy, which we have worked and struggled and fought for, but hold on to. Yeah. With, you know, the desperate talons, um, you know, of needing to be able to be as autonomous as we are. So, um,
0: yeah. Does that answer your question? I think. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what some people may not realize that I really want to emphasize is being a midwife is, um, it's a medical degree, like it's a certification. You go to school, um, you understand the birthing process really well. hmm
1: Yes. Right. I, and I, it's a specialty really, you mm-hmm. know, it's like everybody, all of these physicians that, you know, they all went to the same medical schooling. They all get the same kind of base knowledge. And Mm -hmm. then they specialize, right? They may go into internal medicine. They may go into OBGYN, oncology, geriatrics, whatever it is they decide to go and specialize in. Um, I just went directly to the specialty. So I Mm -hmm. went to midwifery school because I had the opportunity to go to midwifery school and I had the opportunity to go to nursing school um, both in the same week I got that phone call. And so I had to decide, you know, what I was going to do. And I felt as though going to midwifery school was going to be a way for me to be um, more effective in in my community and, and immediately so. Mm -hmm. Like trying to change policies and and protocols in a hospital is like trying to, you know, (laughs) steer a cruise ship. It's like, Jesus Christ, I'm going to probably be retired by the time you guys decide to take any of that in. And you may not take it in at all and you don't have to versus Mm -hmm. me as an independent practitioner. I went to school, you know, for three years and then I did, that was just the didactic education part. And then in addition to that, I did a hands-on apprenticeship model on, you know, on top of that. So those three years and then three years of apprenticeship ran concurrently. And then I did an additional two years of apprenticeship, hands-on apprenticeship after I was done with school. So, you know, I've been helping to catch babies for like, you know, seven years now, Mm -hmm. which has been amazing and wonderful. But I also know too, that, you know, there are things that I, as a midwife, learned how to do that, you know, physicians who are delivering hospital babies in hospitals don't know how to do. Mm-hmm. Breach birth, for instance, we spend a good amount of time learning how to facilitate a breech birth, but we're not allowed to facilitate breech birth. <laughs> so every once in a while it happens where it's an accident where, you know, baby, sure. we're we're seeing like a butt in front of, instead of a head. It's like, oh, well, surprising. Okay. So mm-hmm. we know how to handle that. But a lot of times when physicians are seeing that in hospitals, they're like, oh, nope, surgery, don't. Right. Do. Immediate so, C-section. <laughs> right, exactly. So our knowledge from you know the perspective of being a, a community-based midwife is that we have a lot of skills that are specific to low-risk, normal physiologic birth. Which is our specialty, which is why, you know, when any, wherever anybody says, oh, it's the first time I've ever had a baby and I'm a marathon runner and I'm super healthy, but I think I'm going to go to the hospital. It's like, but why would you do that? It just doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't compute at all. Um, so, yes, we are very, very specialized in normal physiologic, unmedicated birth. So, if that's what you want, you get yourself a midwife.
0: <laughs> very cool. It's very good to know.
1: Yeah, I think so. A lot of people just don't realize that that, you know, that that's all that we do. You know, some mm-hmm. I have a lot of people that may think that oh, you know, midwives, because you know, in in line with what your your subject matter is, we talked about how mid the midwives were the cunning women and the root women and the women who knew all of the remedies for all of the things. And mm-hmm. so they knew how to catch the babies. So that's why a lot of times, again, you know, you find that this patriarchal society uh, is a little bit afraid of things that they don't understand and a little bit afraid of things that will go well if you don't mm-hmm. mess with it. Like you <laughs> just leave it, be, if you just leave it alone, it'll probably mm-hmm. be fine. And that's yeah. kind of the, pr- the the approach that we take, and, and, you know, midwifery is that, well, you know, let's not mess with it until we have to. And then sure. once we have to, we mess with it quickly, efficiently, and as little as possible.
0: Tell me about some of the highs and some of the lows with what you do. Like, what are some really wonderful moments or some really hard moments that you've had to experience?
1: Um, Well, I mean, of course, the the wonderful moments are always, you know, when babies are born, everybody loves that, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know people who don't know, who don't like babies. Um, So babies are always great, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, It's always really very interesting to see a a person who is birthing and watch them really transform throughout the process of, of birth. Um, I had one client who, you know, bless her heart. She got it. She was in active labor and she was in the birth tub and she looked up at me and she said, Nikki. And I said, yeah. And she goes, I don't do this anymore. I said, okay, well, she's no, 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 I'm serious. I don't, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And I said, okay, so does that mean you want to go to the hospital or what does that mean? She says, no, I'm just over it. (laughs) <laughs> okay well um how about you have a baby and then we could just be done with this whole thing yeah <laughs> so, okay that sounds great so watching women go from you know because i i do my best to try and get folks into my care as as early as is reasonable for them and so
0: mm-hmm.
1: um it's interesting to watch a woman you know over the course of almost a year you know go from this person who is like, oh, I think I felt a flutter and la la la, you know, and and work with them and learn from them and learn with them and share with them and become part of their, you know, their their community. And mm-hmm. then when the time comes for them to have the baby, they look at you like, okay, this is it. And I'm like, yeah, it is. And um, so being able to be, you know, with birthing folks through that whole transition is just, it's just the best. Um, Lows of midwifery, almost always, um, you know, if something negative happens, which I've been, you know, very lucky that nothing negative has happened. I feel like I've been very fortunate, but I also feel like I work with very skilled midwives so that, Mm -hmm. you know, those unfortunate things don't happen nearly as often. Um, we have to be uh, very conservative in the way we treat certain uh, pregnancy afflictions. Um, we have to be very diligent about how we treat those pregnancy afflictions. So, you know, sometimes a little part is being on call, you know, because I'm on call 24 7 for my clients. Um, mm-hmm when they hit their 37th week of pregnancy. So it could be anywhere between then and the 42nd week. And in the state of California, the law states that we have to transfer care at 42 weeks. So mm. for that time period, for that person, I am on call. I cannot leave town. I, I cannot <laughs> go far. I have to have my phone on. I can't like go to the beach and go out into the water um, mm-hmm. because I need to be close to the phone i have missed uh birthdays i have missed uh i missed christmas this year mm-hmm. um on christmas day i went to birth so you know those sorts of things are, are can be considered a little bit you know of like oh no, well, it's not my favorite part but i think you know the thing that that bolsters that up is the fact that like my daughters will say, mommy, are you going to go help a, uh, mommy have a baby? And I'm like, yeah. Okay, mommy, see you later. So they're mm-hmm. not, they're not upset at the fact because basically, you know, I've been doing this but with the nine-year-old pretty much her whole life mm-hmm. that she's, you know, even known or cared that I existed. It's like pretty much her whole life. And the 15 year old has watched me kind of grow into this, profession and Mm -hmm. be really nervous and be really inexperienced and and grow into this now, you know, fairly experienced midwife role. So Lowe's are, you know, missing the occasional school event or having to take two cars everywhere because I might have to go, you know, Um, the inability Mm -hmm. to commit to things. Sometimes I don't um, commit to like, volunteering in the kids classrooms or things like that, driving for field trips because I can't run the risk that, you know, six teenagers are going to be stranded somewhere because mm-hmm. I had to go to a bird. You know? <laughs> right. So those are kind of, that's kind of a bummer for me, but I mean the benefits outweigh, you know, the highs are outweighing the lows at this stage in the game by so much that I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it.
0: I know people who have to be on call and that was a really great sort of explanation of the drawbacks and things. You are one of just a very few Black midwives in San Diego. Is that still true? since Yes. You've, yeah. Yeah, so, I am
1: 25% of the Black midwives in San Diego. That's very few. <laughs> <laughs> that is very few. And, and funnily enough, you know, we all know each other and we've all worked together. And mm-hmm. so, you know.
0: So, um, what patterns have you and your three colleagues, Mm -hmm. right, I can math, yeah, Um, Mm -hmm. seen, what patterns have you seen emerge? Um, Do you see, like, people of color and, like, you want to help in a certain way that hospitals, you know, aren't helping? Or just, like, what patterns have you seen?
1: Um, Well, I mean, the the patterns that I've seen have not necessarily been specific to birthers of color. Mm -hmm. Um, The patterns that I have seen of, you know, people who find their way to community birth or out of hospital birth um, are that people are traumatized. They're, you know, literally some folks are suffering from PTSD from having had these hospital births where you know, things are not necessarily explained to them and Mm -hmm. things are done um, to them, you know, not necessarily for them or with their consent. There are things that just happen because it's just a matter of course, for people who do, you know, who see babies born six, eight, 10 times a day, every day they go to work Mm -hmm. versus that one person who has that one opportunity and that one experience You know what I mean? So I am, and so you know, it it's it's sad to see that people will, you know, that's the pattern. You know, the pattern is that people are traumatized. I I have, I meet most most of the people I meet nowadays in the home birth community are those that either they're they were born at home, Mm -hmm. and their their parents were born at home, and so it's just for the course for them like you have babies at home which is what you do Mm -hmm. the other side of that coin is people who were you know coming who come to home birth as a second or third or sometimes even fourth time birther and have had experiences in the hospital that were traumatic the first time and then they say okay well I'll give it another shot the second time and I'll give it another shot the third time and so they come to home birth with these high expectations, but also, you know, the hope that their trauma is no, is not given any further merit. You know, they, they don't want to be continually traumatized. So a lot of, a lot of people that I meet outside the hospital will say that once one of the first things they'll say is I'm never going back to the hospital
0: to have Mm. another
1: baby. That was awful.
0: So have you seen um, people be able to, heal from trauma as they experience you know a totally different way of giving birth
1: um i can definitely see an improvement in the way people relate to their birthing experience i can't really speak to whether or not people are you know healed from their trauma because i don't Mm -hmm. know but i can definitely see a difference between like the person that comes in at the very beginning of their second pregnancy and is like, look, <laughs> I had a traumatic birth and da da da, da and you're not going to do X and this is not going to happen and and they're very like directive about mm-hmm. what their care is going to look like. And as time goes on and as they realize that, you know, midwives have this particular skill set that makes it so that you have choices and you have, you know, this consumer driven care and you tell me what you want to do, you Mm -hmm. see that soften, like, oh, well, okay. You know, and people realize that you know that we're in this together. I'm not an adversary. I'm an advocate. I want you to have what you want. Mm -hmm. I'm not working against you. I'm gonna tell you what I think and you can do whatever you want to with that. But I'm not your adversary you know, Mm -hmm. and so that, that I find to be um, a really lovely change that happens over that, over that time, you know.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: But I can't, you know, I can make suggestions all day long. And even so, you know, if I tell somebody, you know, you're in the middle of their birth, like, okay, it's time for us to go to the hospital. Even if they say no, all right. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that I have to stay there. And like watch them spiral downwards. I'll con- call call nine one one anyway and let the parents tell them to go away. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hospitals are there when we need them and they're great when we need them. It's just that I think people are at a stage now where they just are not sure what else to do. They're not sure or they're not aware that there are other options for birth because birth is not, it's not a medical event. It's Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's just something that happens I don't know exactly how better to put it but it's not an emergency you know mm-hmm.
0: sick hospitals are for sick people
1: and you're, people aren't sick they're just
0: pregnant as much as I like to joke about being an STD or a parasite like pregnancy <laughs> and birth they're, they're normal they happen obviously sometimes they're high risk or dangerous but for you know, the majority of the time, like it can happen in a safe space without too much intervention. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: That's absolutely right.
0: With, you know, our current healthcare system and having seen people who are, you know, a little traumatized or wary coming in to give birth, if you could give um, women who are pregnant or want to become pregnant and have kids um, one piece of advice about the whole birthing process what would that advice be
1: here's here's what i would say i would say that the one piece of advice i would give them is that um birth is um and this is very like there's a whole you know teaching method called birthing from within and so i would refer back to that and birthing from within it actually you know approaches birth in such a way that you know, it it talks about birth as being this very labyrinthine type of experience. Every Mm -hmm. corner you go around is a corner you haven't been around before. And so you may well be faced with these completely different experiences at every corner, Mm -hmm. right? So that's the piece of advice that I would give is to be open to whatever those experiences happen to bring up for you in that moment. Yeah. If it's, you know, if it's fear, if it's anger, if it's joy, just be open to it and ready for it and grounded in it. And then, you know, go down the path a little bit more until the next corner comes and see what's around the next corner. Mm -hmm. Um, The story we were we talked about the story of Inanna um, when we learned about our birthing from within labyrinth, you know, and about how she had to shed all these aspects of herself to really be reborn. And so that is, mm-hmm. that, that metaphor is used a lot, especially in the birthing from within, um, you know, series of of classes that you can take is the fact that, you know, you do have to go into this labyrinth of birth and labor and shed all of the things that, help you to kind of keep it together you know in in the face Mm -hmm. of other people or on the face of society you you know you put your hair up and you put your lipstick on and you put your earrings in and all of that um and labor and birth takes you to a place that you rarely go to it Mm -hmm. it breaks you down in a way that is unfamiliar and you have to be dependent on people in such a way that you've probably never, ever had to depend on, like physically depend on people like that before. Mm -hmm. So the word of advice would just be to be open to all of that, open to all of it. And, you know, that's a hard thing to do because, you know, in this country, we're we're not programmed as people who identify as women. We're not programmed to be helpless right you know we're programmed to be those people i can do anything i can juggle 17 things and have a baby and you know start a career and <laughs> sure. and, and 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 in birth you are you have to be able to be vulnerable Mm-hmm. and we're just as a society not very good at that
0: no we're so, not <laughs> no we're not well that's a beautiful answer Vulnerability is so important and so, I'm sure, frightening. I, I mm-hmm. have never given birth, but I'm already frightened. And just, <laughs> So that's, that's very good advice. Um, if you could advise women to, like, ask one question or look for one trait in their healthcare providers what would you, what would be important to you? Um,
1: I, my advice would be to, because this is something that I struggled with coming up as a, as a midwife and watching other midwives and and learning how to midwife is I always watch to see if when I'm asking a question of my care provider, are they listening or Mm -hmm. are they formulating a response? Mm Mm-hmm. Because what happens is, you know, and I remember doing this, like, oh, I know the answer to that, like halfway through the question. And then I don't hear the rest of the question because I've already got the answer in my head. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to tell them this. And I'm going to tell them about this root and that tincture and la la la. And I had a midwife who I worked with, the very first one that I worked with, I saw her do the same thing where she would listen. She would hear keywords that meant something to her. And you could see her brain go, okay, so I'm going to tell them this, 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 and this, but she missed the last half of the question. Mm -hmm. So I I would ask, I would suggest that people would look to their care providers and really see if they're listening to the whole question. Are you Mm -hmm. listening to the entire statement of what I'm, what I'm saying, or did you just hear heartburn and then think answer? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that's something that I really I struggled with and I continue to struggle with every once in a while because I'm so excited about that. that I do have the answer. Like, mm-hmm. Yes. So to tell you all about it. But you really want to make sure that the care provider that you choose not only has the answers, but is
0: listening to the entire question. Absolutely. That's brilliant advice. <laughs> <laughs> um I've heard you know, the advice from psychologists and, you know, communicators before, like, wait a few seconds, really absorb the question. And then, of course, um, I think that if our healthcare providers sort of focused on listening to us as individuals, which some do a brilliant job of, um, but I know some are pressed for time or overworked or tired, and they can't always do that, I think it would solve a lot of these sort of conflicts. Mm-hmm. I agree. Thanks for yeah. chatting with me for so long. I didn't mean to take up so much of your time, but I couldn't oh, stop no. you. It's like, yes,
1: ah, tell yeah. me more. Nope. <laughs> no worries. I wish. Thank you so much.
0: <laughs> take good Thank care. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. For time immemorium, the females of the species have given birth or laid the eggs. From turtles to dolphins to elephants to cats and thousands more, the gals have always had the children and gone right back to business. Childbirth has always been risky. Infants are at high risk of being eaten, injured, or left behind, and birthing mothers are at risk of injury, infection, and death. So it's no wonder that as humanoid species began to evolve and the women began to recognize patterns of birth and death, they began to care for themselves and each other. Some monkeys have been documented giving birth with a midwife attendant monkey. The midwife monkey senses the mother's distress, helps pull the baby from the birth canal and holds the baby after the mother has held and cleaned the baby while the mother is eating the placenta to supply herself with the nutrients that she has just lost. So I wonder, who was the first human midwife? What did she learn and how did she provide comfort and medical attention to the mothers of her tribe? Though we have no records and history has forgotten her, she is the reason that we all exist. Along with the ability to walk upright and communicate, midwives have evolved as a natural part of human existence to support other women through the pain and dangers of childbirth. While we don't know very much about them, we do know that the women of prehistoric Africa did support each other through childbirth. Midwifery was a universally taught skill passed from mother to daughter or aunt to niece who all helped and supported each other and their communities. So, for as long as women have given birth, there have been midwives. I suspect at first it was a respected position in the community. But slowly in Western history, as men began to control the health narrative, midwifery became a dangerous practice. In the Malleus Maleficarum, an infamous witch-hunting guide claimed that witches masquerading as midwives were the most dangerous kind of witches because of the damage they could inflict upon a new family, making anger and suspicion towards midwives eh, even worse. Even before this, midwives had fallen out of popularity before in ancient Greece when the senate decided doctors were more qualified to take care of wealthy women. The women were not consulted, of course, (laughs) and they were not really charmed or reassured by the doctors' awful assumptions and attitudes. Doctors of the time had little knowledge of the female body and were not nearly as up-to-date as the common midwife, in poultices, birthing positions, and more. Thus, Agnoticae, a midwife who dressed as a man to attend medical school and work as a doctor, was in high demand among the wealthy women of the time. After Greece, Romans were the first to document the Caesarean section. These cesarean sections were utilized at first not to save the life of the mother or child, but to cut a fetus from the womb after both had died or were about to die, since Roman burial rites could not be performed on pregnant women. It wasn't until the 1500s that a written account of mother and baby surviving a cesarean section appeared in Switzerland. But that doesn't mean that those were the first. Ancient Chinese etchings show c-sections on what appear to be living women. There are also references in Hindu, Greek, and Egyptian folklore to successful c-sections. In 1879, a British traveler observed a c-section performed in Uganda. The healer fed the pregnant woman a banana wine and used it to sanitize her belly. The healer cauterized the incision and applied a paste to the wound once the baby was removed and the wound was pinned closed. The paste fought off infection and the mother healed quickly. It's obvious that this wasn't the first successful C-section in Africa, as the procedure seemed commonplace and was performed with such efficiency and accuracy. In fact, it's likely that the procedure had been honed in dozens of places across the globe for hundreds of years by medical practitioners, healers, and midwives. It's not a stretch to acknowledge that in Africa, where midwives and childbirth have existed the longest, healers have been working on crafting a surgical procedure to save both mother and child for a long time, possibly millennia. While the early C-section was only used in dire circumstances, Today's C-sections take place in up to 1 out of 3 births in the United States, a number that most experts agree is unnecessarily high, especially considering that the U.S. has the highest mother-infant mortality rate of any developed country, meaning we're ahead in number of surgeries and we're way behind in number of mothers who survive a U.S. hospital birth. Sounds like it's time for us to learn from the midwives of old and the midwives of today. Today's spell is easy. This Halloween, try propping your broom by the door, bristles down to invite spirits into your home. After Samhain or Halloween is over, flip your broom to face the bristles up to invite the Halloween spirits and energy to leave your home. Easy as that. that's a wrap on today's episode thank you so much for listening be sure you and your coven are subscribed to of witches and women on apple or google podcasts and spotify and please write me a magical review on your podcast app so others can find and enjoy the show as well thanks to you my amazing witchlings we've already had well over ten thousand streams if magic wasn't involved I don't know how we would have gotten here. Be sure to connect to me and the pod on social media and look up ofwitchesandwomen.com for even more great content and to subscribe to The Oracle. Stay fierce, witches. I'll catch you next time. Of Witches and Women is brought to you by SHH Media, LLC.